think it's good for us to remember as we are in this scripture again or in the series again on the Lord's Prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount and he loves them very much. And so a part of the way he's loving them is by giving them this prayer. In particular, I think of this part of the prayer that we're in this morning, which is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in the NRSV, which is the translation that we have in our sanctuary, actually you don't have it right in front of you today because of construction, but it's translated, the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. And you think about Jesus' own experience, and he had a first-hand experience of wrestling with the evil one, the temptation out in the wilderness. It's where the Spirit of God led him. He understood firsthand that there were spiritual forces that were working against God's purposes in the world, confronted them, named them, dealt with them, came to deliver from them. So he knew what the church down through the ages has known, though sometimes it's not quite as visible or as acknowledged by us. I want you to hear what Paul, the Apostle Paul, says about this in Ephesians 6. He's writing to a congregation and a church that he loves very much, and he too is having a firsthand experience of entrenched evil. And so he writes this in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and take on the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. I came to realize this past year that in the 22 years that I've been here as a pastor, I've made a big mistake. Part of that mistake is that I have, in the times that I've done baptisms here in worship, left out a very important part of the baptismal liturgy. All of you know that when we baptize a child, the baptismal is actually over there, right where Kristen is right now. Typically up here, though, when we're baptizing either a child or an adult, there are questions. And in the baptismal liturgy in our worship book, one of those questions is, do you renounce evil and its power in the world? You haven't heard that question here, have you? Do you renounce evil and its power in the world? It's been one of the questions asked. And I'm not quite sure why 
I have neglected that question. But I think that it has been to the detriment of all of us, actually, because Jesus knew that we needed to know that there are things that we will be wrestling with, just like he had to wrestle with it. Spiritual forces at work in the world, and it's not helpful or loving to neglect that part of our journey of faith, that it's a part of it. Many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis, and he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. It's this imaginary conversation among several devils. And in the preface to this book, he wrote this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. We don't want to make either one of those errors. We want to be aware of the movement of evil in the world and how it works. There are several names for the devil, the evil one, or the movement of evil. What are some of those names and words that you hear and have heard in Scripture? Just Satan, and that actually means the adversary, Lucifer. Beelzebub, don't use that one too much, do we? The devil, which means diabolos, diabolical. The accuser. The prince of the earth. The prince of lies, father of lies. The deceiver, the tempter. Evil one, prince of darkness. So I think as you hear these names describing uh, the evil one and the, and the work of evil in the world, it tells us how evil works. And evil doesn't present itself as evil. It doesn't obviously look like evil. You've heard of an angel of light. It parades as an angel of light. Evil is bent on deceiving and luring us away from loving God and loving one another. Its goal is separation, separation from God and separation from one another. So wrestling with evil is a serious thing. And it's important, Jesus knows, in loving his disciples, just like parents love their children, and you will do anything to be vigilant about protecting your children from harm Jesus is loving his followers in the same way. Vigilant and concerned about protecting us from harm and also like parents knowing that you can't always keep your children away from those things that are threatening and harmful, right? And the truth is, evil isn't just out there. Evil is also in the church. It's in families. It's at work in us. So it's important for us to learn to recognize it. Can't isolate ourselves from it or pretend that it's not there, pretend it away. This story, I like this story about a mother of eight children and she went grocery shopping, uh, came back to her house and when she walked in the house, she noticed that it was unusually quiet. And so she looked in the living room and she saw five of her children in a little circle in the living room so she put the groceries on the shelf and she, or down on the counter, 
walked into the living room and discovered that her children were playing with the cutest little skunks you ever saw. Well, she was absolutely terrified to see her children gathered around these skunks in the living room, and so she did what came naturally to her, which was to scream at the top of her lungs, run, children, run! And they did. All five of them picked up a skunk and ran in five different directions. And because they were so frightened by their mother screaming, they were squeezing that skunk as hard as they could as they ran. Well, of course she did what came naturally to her, to scream at them, to leave, and to run. But what they really needed more than anything else, and eventually I'm sure this happened, was to learn how to recognize what's a cuddly pet and what is not, what's a skunk. Very important, right? Similar for us, the skill we need is discernment how to recognize the movement of evil in the world, not pretend it's not there. And how does the movement of evil in the world differ from the movement of God? First John 4, we are encouraged, beloved, the scripture says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Evil is deceptive, so we need instruction. We need to not just pretend that the skunks aren't out there. When well, the 16th century, a very important mentor in the faith, St. Ignatius of Loyola, he developed a prayer exercise. He's the one that also wrote spiritual exercises. And he developed a prayer exercise particularly for this purpose, to provide instruction so that we can discern, separate, figure out what is the movement of evil and what is the movement of God in Jesus Christ? And I want to actually enact some of this imaginary prayer exercise for you so that you can have a sense of what he was trying to teach as he invited his disciples to use our imaginations in contemplative prayer. The first thing he did is he said, imagine two very different poles. And on the one end, imagine Satan sitting in a city, Babylon, a city of evil and fire and smoke. And I asked Mike O'Connor to be my Satan figure. Sorry, Mike. He said his wife often calls him that. He was just kidding. So, lording it over, sitting on a high and exalted throne and lording it over his underlings. And I'm wondering if I could have a few underlings, maybe Lauren and let's see, who else is willing to be an underling? Adam, you willing to be an underling? And... Gerardo, come on up here. You can be an underling, okay? <laughs> so you're just sitting right there, and you're actually looking at Satan, who's intimidating you and frightening you. And what Satan does is Satan uses those things that we're most insecure about. Satan uses fear, our fears, and deception, and also... There's some other things, self-doubt and discouragement that kind of get at us where we're most vulnerable and insecure. And also, Satan uses our cravings. Well, hang on just a minute. You're going to change. That's exactly what you're going to do. 
you are good at this. All right, Satan already knows what he's doing. All right, got those chains going on. But also, this is what Satan loves to do, is to cater to our cravings, three cravings that we all have. One is that we want riches. How many of you wanted to buy a lottery ticket with that $1.6 billion in it and imagined all the great things you would do? We like honor. I imagined it. I would say, oh, how are you going to use that money, Pastor Mary? Well, I'm going to use all of it to help the inequity in the world. Honor and want to be the greatest. So, tempting, luring, and captivating. So you imagine yourself, so Christine, I'm going to have you come up as the prayer person. You're imagining that Satan is enticing you and manipulating you. And now Lauren and Gerardo, one of you are going to be sent out by Satan to go chain her. So you go wrap this around her. There you go. And she's going to be chained and held captive. You can wrap it all the way around her. You can take it off yourself. There you go. Put it all the way around her so that she is held captive by this. These are the strategies of Satan. There you go. Okay. So you can have a seat there, Christine and Gerardo, and be as held captive as you can imagine yourself being. On the other side, on the other side, we are invited to imagine the polar opposite in the strategies of Christ. I'm going to get this thing to come down here. So imagine the city of Jerusalem as a city of peace, as a city of beauty, undisturbed nature. And so imagine, instead of lording it over, imagine Christ. And I'm going to see, who wants to be Christ over here? Hey, Daniel, come on up. Would you be Christ? Yeah. So instead of sitting on a high throne, Daniel is sitting right there in the midst of his followers. Who wants to be right here with Daniel? I need about two or three people. Gianna, can you come up here? That'd be great. Maybe Preston, you want to come as well? Or Porter, you want to come on up and be, come on, it's with Christ. So you can sit right there with him. And instead of enticing and seducing, he's calling you by name. Daniel, you want to call them by name? He's inviting them. And he's not inviting them to have more wealth. He's not inviting them to have honor and recognition necessarily or to be the greatest. Not necessarily doing that like Satan's having fun doing. No, what Jesus is doing is saying, hey, do you want to be part of my ministry of love? And I will help you to be kind of have a healthy detachment from these things. And you can be a part of being attached to God's love. So he's doing that by calling them by name and inviting them, not using doubt, not using their insecurities, not using all the things that make you feel like you're a failure, all the things that go through my mind at night. No, Jesus is calling them by name and, and using gratitude and honesty and genuineness and receptivity and listening and really caring for each one. So give them a hand. You see the difference between these two? You can go back to your seats. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I forgot. I forgot the best part. Christine, come on over here. You're going to hear Jesus calling you by name. Do you want to call Christine by name? Christine. Okay, and you can send out one of your followers to go set her free. Yeah, Riv, you want to go set her free and untie that horrible stuff from around her? Yeah. There, that's the best part. I can't forget that part. All right, now you can thank them for doing this. Good job. You can have a seat. 
So you're welcome to go back to your chairs, or Satan, if you're having a good time, you can just stay there. <laughs> Looks like you're kind of enjoying that role. So recognizing the difference between the strategies of Christ and the strategies of Satan is a really, really important part of our learning as followers of Jesus and our role in the world. You know, C.S. Lewis, many of you are aware, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, he wrote about um, these two poles as well. Interestingly enough, those of you that have seen the movie or that very first book in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, perhaps you know the story, but on the one pole, there is the white queen. Is that what her name? The white witch. It's the white witch, and she's a really mean, cruel queen. She lords it over. She tempts people with Turkish delight, which is this candy or food that you can't get enough of and you can't stop eating, and caters to our worst weaknesses in order to do what? She ends up turning them into stone statues, right? Totally held captive. And then on the other hand, you've got Aslan, who's the Christ figure, who doesn't uh, do mean things, intimidating things, uh, use our weaknesses, but is good and honest and trustworthy. And what happens at the end of The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe? He goes into the castle of the mean witch, the white witch, and breathes on the stone statues and sets them free. The awesome thing about that is that C.S. Lewis totally understood the ways of Christ and the ways of Satan. He learned their different strategies. And we must learn them too. So what is the goal of this message today? To pray. That is Jesus' goal in teaching this prayer, to pray. To pray for discernment, first of all. To pray that we will learn to recognize evil that presents deceptively for what it is by the way it functions. There is evil at work in the world. There is entrenched evil at work in the world. Jesus recognized it in the Roman Empire. He recognized it among the religious leaders. He recognized it in households. He recognized it at work in individuals and confronted it and called it out and healed it. But as we are called to discern the method and the strategies of evil at work in the world and how that differs from the work of Christ, we need to do that with humility, don't we? Because unlike Jesus, we are also a part of these entrenched systems of evil. I thought it was very interesting when Ben McBride was here, African-American pastor from Oakland last summer, very powerful talk he gave, very much calling out and confronting entrenched evil in the form of racism. But you know, the thing that was cool about Ben is that he also was humbly admitting that he was becoming more and more aware of his own sexism. Wherever we have power, and whatever our power is, it's where we're going to tend to be most blind to entrenched evil, because we're benefiting from that entrenched evil. I love the prayer of King David at the end of Psalm 139, a man of great power. And he said, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me 
and show me the way everlasting. So we pray for discernment to recognize evil at work and we pray with humility, realizing that wherever we have power and privilege, we are likely to be blind and ask that God would reveal it to us. We also pray that God would deliver us. That God would deliver us from getting trapped over here, even when we are discerning and we're realizing there is evil in the world, we can begin, begin to function just like this evil strategy. We can begin to be so sure we're right that we're not listening anymore. We can be so angry and so mad that we can become as hateful. Didn't that, isn't that what happened to the one making all these bombs, sending them out? The enemy camp wanting to destroy the people in it. Friends, if we find ourselves wanting to wish ill on those who differ with us, who we are sure are entrenched in evil, that is not the strategy of Jesus. The strategy of Jesus is compassion and love and setting free. Everybody that's a part of entrenched evil is being impacted by the spiritual forces at work in this world and universe. And Jesus came to set us all free. So we pray, deliver us, and we work against evil and entrenched evil at work in the world. But we also do it with the goal of God's liberating love in Jesus Christ. That's where we need God's deliverance, that we don't get stuck in that same trap of hating and wanting to destroy. Third, we pray with hope. How often have I heard and how easy is it to just be filled with despair? When we look at the entrenched hate, the entrenched violence, the entrenched divisions, and see them just getting worse and worse and worse, filled with helplessness. Friends, that's exactly where the 12-step program begins, right? In our helplessness, we turn to our higher power, and we have a power that's greater. Death has come fully and taken Jesus down, and God has raised him to new life. There is no power greater than his. There is no dominion or ultimate position or established kingdom in this world that will outlast his. The very end of the prayer, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, is what I find myself saying over and over again as I have conversations with people who are just so burdened by lament and the news of every day. It sounds so trite, but I say, Jesus is Lord. Whatever kingdom's going on right now is not going to last. There's one that's going to last, and that's Jesus Christ. That's not a trivial statement. That's a true statement. I encouraged and invited my small group this week, before we get to the last phrase of the Lord's Prayer, to pray the prayer backwards. Begin with the last phrase. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Give us this day our daily bread. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Begin with that promise. 
Stay with that promise because that's true and that's why we pray with hope. It's why we pray at all. But we don't fix these things. We don't defeat these powers. Jesus Christ has fought these powers and won in his death and resurrection. I want to read to you the words of our hymn that we're going to sing. A mighty fortress is our God because they are just so right on. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe, and his craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Saviot, his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle, because he already has. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And that word, capital W, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>